Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And today, we got something a little special. Little we got different. an interview. We got an interview for you. So a couple months ago, or weeks, I would say months, a couple months ago, Dave, our very own Dave Anderson, went out to Florence, Italy for PyCon Italia. Yeah, as as revealed in episode number 52 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you had your little rough run here at the podcast and yeah. sharpened it up, and it's amazing. GraphQL. Yeah, GraphQL. It's the uh, wave. Yeah, finally looked into it, and all the videos are out. And I remember they had these interviews that we never released. Yeah, so we're Dang. about... Yeah, no, I mean, this is uh, pretty good content that we got in store for you, ladies and gentlemen. Dave, before we start, I want to ask you, what was... What was entertaining about PyCon Italia? Oh, PyCon Italia is great. Like, I love how there's just all these different Python communities throughout the entire world. Yeah. Like, I I went to the PyCon in Cleveland, Ohio. Right. In the US in May. And it was interesting, like, the the contrast between them because, like, PyCon US is huge and extravagant. Like, all the speakers are great and wonderful you know, core contributors and founders of this library and whatever. Uh, And there's diversity. There's a lot of other people too at PyCon US. But like PyCon Italia was a lot of fun because it was just like such a good local community. Like it was very intimate. Like it was very easy to uh, talk to people. It was more relaxed. Like, you know, you could go up to anybody and, and just hang out. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. We have an interview with a person by the name of Mikey Ariel. She had a talk called, Can We Make the Light Bulb Want to Change? Yeah, I thought it was a really great talk. It was one of the first talks that was given at uh, PyCon Italia. It was the second keynote on the first day. Hmm. And it, it kind of had like this really nice uh, Esther Derby kind of flair, like six rules for change, where you know, you're in a situation and you want to like understand how you can make things better through understanding the people around you and and not being a jerk about things. Awesome. I think before we play the clip, I just want everyone to like close their eyes and meditate because it sounds like Dave is at like a coffee shop and it sounds amazing. So we hope that you enjoy the transformation from being in New York to being in Florence, Italy. Here we go. Nonstop. Let's dive right into it. Welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast. We're coming at you live from the field in Florence, Italy at PyCon Italia. It's beautiful out here. I left William and Mike behind in Dreary and Drab, New York. <laughs> and I have here with me Mikey Ariel, who just delivered her first keynote speech here. Ever. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Why don't you uh, tell people a little bit about yourself? 
Great. So, like you said, my name is Mikey, <laughs> and I am a technical writer for OpenStack platform at Red Hat. I was born in Israel. I grew up in California, and now I live in Prague, Czech Republic, working remotely. I'm also on the core team for Write the Docs, a global core team. We organize two main conferences. We have a bunch of meetups. We're a documentation-focused community that was built on the shoulders of Python and Django communities. So we nice. have a lot of open source philosophy that we implement and we're very collaborative and it's a really happy place to be cool yeah open source needs more documentation yes and we're <laughs> here to help <laughs> please do yes yes so yeah your your talk that you gave uh yesterday morning was on kind of like a framework for change right like mm -hmm. uh what was the title again? Oh, it was, Can We Make the Light Bulb Want to Change? was the question that <laughs> I, I presented. I, 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 I love that. that. That's like my life, basically. Like, how, how do I get this to happen with the least amount of effort? Like, I don't want to, like, get up there and, like, get on a stool and like, grab the light bulb and, like, twist it out of the socket. You just want it to, like, decide to do its own thing. Like. Right, right. <laughs> and, I mean, assuming that the light bulb is a conscious being that has some kind of choice. <laughs> a, <laughs> you know? a smart light bulb. Yes, it's a very smart light bulb. <laughs> yes. But the point is, is that you actually don't want to treat the light bulb as a light bulb if mm. you want it to change. You know, you have to, you know, it's, uh, you have to take it out of context. You know, right. so, I mean, the question was kind of a Kickstarter for the philosophical question of can we, how can we influence change? Mm, how can we yeah. induce change and manage it in a healthy way? Right. Uh, with ourselves and groups and other people. Yeah. And like being like software developers, like change is something that we're always dealing with. Like and you there's don't always, always want to. There's always a new platform. There's always a new technology. Like especially if you're doing like JavaScript, it's changing a mile a minute. DevOps, I'm consistently blown away by all the things that are happening and new shiny things. Yes. So you have to decide what change is important and what change is maybe not important and how you navigate that those waters. Absolutely. And as a writer, and I've also done Scrum Master work in the past, so I've worked in agile mm -hmm. teams, and I've spent many years working with software developers, with QA engineers, with support engineers, with customer relationship managers. Mm -hmm. With And in the last almost five years, I've worked in open source, which meant that I was working with community contributors. I am a community contributor myself. Mm. You know, you work with yeah. people with a lot of different levels of engagement and different levels of, of expertise in their field, which somehow sometimes correlates to how resistant they are to change right. as well, yeah. you know, and especially people who have deep, deep knowledge of a certain field, or you want to encourage new perspectives, new contributors. So there's a lot of shifting perspectives and a lot of shifting engagement that you have to deal with if right. you want to manage relationships and yeah. manage the evolution of whatever it is you're working on. Yeah, and I guess like the challenge of like managing that those kind of expectations and people in that context of like an open source project where like people are heavily invested in the outcome but like it's a very loosely coupled team compared to like people who are sitting in the same room and like convincing all of those people in the same room to get on the same page with something is its own challenge, but they're in the same room. So like you have kind of some other bonds that you may have and like, you know, uh, someone who's like halfway across the world convincing them to adopt a new way to do something might, might have its own inherent challenges. Of course. So having remote or distributed 
projects is a challenge because you want to communicate something, anything really. All the communication needs to be more broadly understood mm-hmm. by different cultures, people in different countries. You yeah. know, sometimes people in different languages are their native, it's their native language. But also there's another consideration about uh, open source projects, especially people who are working on a volunteer basis, they don't work on it because it's necessarily their job. They work on it because they really, really love it, right. because they want to. So there, there's a, uh, a much bigger emotional attachment sometimes than when you have a more traditional project or a team. You know, I've, I've worked in proprietary software houses. I've worked in open source as a job. And I've okay. also done volunteer contributions. So you kind of see the different different ways to engage people on change, right. you know, because you, you can't assume certain things that people will automatically continue to work on something. You, know, you can't assume engagement. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess like with a job where you're, you're paid and like you're there, like there's, there's that itself that you don't have with an open source project. It's, it's so much lower cost to just walk away. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. On the other hand, if you're in it, and if you're contributing to the project, especially if, let's say, for example, you're one of the founders or some, you're, you're, you're one of the leaders of the project, then you're much, much more likely, you know, the, the, the term benevolent dictator for life, the BDFL concept <laughs> right. was invented in open Our, source. fearless leader. Yes. We know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, this is not just for, for, for the Python community. I mean, right. I've worked on open source projects before who shall remain nameless to protect the innocent, <laughs> where I've tried to collaborate on a certain change, for example, related right. to their documentation to try and, let's say, migrate them from one markup language to another. Sure. And we were basically shot down by the founder of the project who refused to accept any sort of different idea to his project. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, there's only so much you can do, yeah, right? Yeah, that, so that is a challenge. I, 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 for me, like, I... I when I, when I see a project that's like that, that has like a single person who is like on all the issues, responding to all the things, it feels like almost invasive to try to contribute or change something mm-hmm. or suggest something because mm-hmm. it's like a product of their vision. And it's like not, it's not, it hasn't been built from the ground up with like collaboration maybe in mind. Yes. And this <laughs> is something that, for example, at Write the Docs, we tried to do. And our Write the Docs was built was created by Eric Holscher and Eric Redmond and Troy Howard, who were uh, involved with Read the Docs, which is the hosting mm-hmm. service for Python documentation. And awesome. it's built great, on... Yeah. yeah, so thanks, Eric. Um, <laughs> and he's a good friend of mine. But one of the things that when he started Write the Docs, and it kind of uh, evolved as a community beyond what one or two people would do. And then I joined on, and then Samuel Wright joined on, and now we have Kelly O'Brien as well. So there's four people on the global core team. And yeah. what Eric keeps saying is that I don't want to have to be here for mm. this thing to continue to live. Like, right. I want to be replaceable. Yes. You know, it's like being yeah, a replaceable yeah. parent or a replaceable right. teacher. Yeah, you yeah. know, like, because if they can't replace you, they can't promote you, and you can't really do anything else. And yeah. then you end up getting caught up in the responsibility loop, you know, loop thing. It's like this infinite, you know, thing. And right. you don't want to get caught up in it. So, so some people prioritize a replicable or a portable community model or project mm-hmm. that with the intention of letting the project live on its own without specific people being tied into it. Right. And in right. the documentation field, this is something that I've seen more prevalent than in the software development 
because documentation is a way to educate people on a certain software tool, right? right. Or about a certain product or yeah. a certain... So it's about communication. It's about delivering knowledge. It's about sharing knowledge, mm-hmm. you know? And it's it's something like I, I work with a lot of software developers. My job is to extract information from software developers who have a deep knowledge about a certain tool or a mm-hmm. product and to take that and put a lot of context around it so that we can explain how this works to someone who didn't make it. Right. So it's digestible and all that good stuff. Right. And so I'm, I deal with a lot of uh, people who make assumptions that, oh, people should know this already. And I'm like, no, right. no, it's, it's in your head. You know, I have to remind <laughs> a lot of the engineers that the, all the background knowledge right. that you have, people won't have. So you got to yeah, give yeah. me a brain dump. Which I, yeah, I guess that's like kind of like a, a big focus of your talk was on empathy. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of reminded me also of like Esther Derby and her rules for change and how like empathy is really like super important in software development now more than ever, maybe. Yes. Since it's like so open and there's so many people like coming together to do these awesome projects. Like Exactly. I mean, if you assume that people learn things in the same way that you do if you assume people have the same background that you do you are going to run into a lot of walls because we are not we don't always deal with homogenous groups right and especially in open source where anybody can come in and contribute you have to be able to step out of your own sort of pre-filters and being able to see things from a different perspective while you communicate, when you interact really with anybody on an open right. source project, you know, working in an open organization, Red Hat is built on top of, it grew out of open source communities. So a lot of the things yeah. that we do mm-hmm. are still based on those principles, which makes it a really pretty cool place to work. So we can, are encouraged to experiment. We're encouraged to mm-hmm. run pilots and then socialize them to people. It's like, if you sure. can sell your idea to your peers, and your business unit or whatever, we will adopt it and we will be happy to do it. Yeah. So they yeah. encourage that. Yeah, and people that are paid of, to... That kind of bottom-up stuff is pretty great. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just that. People are paid to work on open source projects and then mm-hmm. we consume them back and package them to our customers. Like that's the business model. Right. You know, but everything is open source. So the thing about empathy but is that... Also being experts in a thing, I guess. Like, yeah. it's, it's being expert, but opening the knowledge. Right. So you're letting anybody access your code base. We also have, you know, a lot of GitHub projects like the open decision framework where you can take, you know, a slide deck and resources and it's all public on GitHub, you sure. know, so people yeah. can use them for their companies. Yeah. You know, so you're saying about empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's point is to treat your, you can't assume that people will see things in the same way that you do. It's not just about you. We don't work in a vacuum. Right. You know, right. so if Esther Derby talks about, you know, like, you know, the, she did this, she had this phrase that really resonated with me where people don't, are not, resi- people are not resistant to change. They are resistant to coercion, you know, <laughs> so you can't just slam change into people and right. expect them to buy it. You know, yeah. you have to actually sell it to someone, right. you know, you which can, means like doing a lot more work than you would expect you would have to do. It's like, a lot more emotional work yeah. than you people, that right. people assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that about your talk, too. You kind of, like, framed it as, like, you know, being respectful of the other person's time and, like, doing research, mm-hmm. uh, doing Do the legwork to make sure that, like, you you actually have the right solution to the problem, that you haven't, like, kind of made some assumption that's, like, your own bias. Yes. Like, understanding yourself and the problem 
as well as the per- the people that you're trying to communicate to. Yes, and of course I learned this the hard way. You know, working on <laughs> working on projects where personally, as a technical writer, I come with a certain set of expert experience. Right, I have I have a certain expertise: documentation, yeah. documentation systems, documentation tooling. And then, mm-hmm. for example, I start working on a project with engineers who have an expertise in the code that they write, in the build systems, you right. know, and all sorts of like system administration. Mm-hmm. And then if I want to propose, let's say, a migration product project mm-hmm. or initiative between two formats of documentation and how to construct or architect a documentation set, yeah. I need to make a proper, I had to make a proper proposal and give the engineers the right context because they don't have the same expertise that I do. Right. You know, I've and they're going to be like collaborating you with on this and like uh, on this in a, in a technical way. Yes, exactly. It's, it's not only like the product that comes out of the documentation that's nice for users, but like to get a documentation that's like easily maintainable by anybody, you have to architect a system. Exactly. And so if I propose a certain working model or a workflow that requires also the engineers to say like, you know, if I if I propose that we make documentation a requirement for mm-hmm. any kind of patches, right. right? So when you submit a patch to the code base that requires any kind of user change, user behavior change, yeah. you need to include some documentation draft. So I need to sell this idea to the engineers mm-hmm. and basically take them out of their comfort zone because a lot of engineers are maybe not experienced with, not as capable or engaged right. or disinterested. or disinterested in writing documentation and right. it's kind of related right because if you really enjoy something you will probably invest more time in learning how to do it better yeah and if you are focused on a different expertise it's not that it's not that i'm saying oh engineers are bad at writing documentation they're not as experienced because it hasn't been their focus right. i have no I knowledge mean, about how to write code for example <laughs> You know, right? I mean, I think for for me, it's just like just naming a single variable is a whole task. Like naming finding the right is name. Hard. It's so hard. <laughs> and I, that's 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 the documentation that I am most focused on as an engineer. Like, I want to like make the software speak for itself and be a document for any future people, so I can be lazy, which is a virtue of programming. <laughs> laziness is the mother of automation okay exactly I am a functional so, lazy person I, the, fr- the best way to write documentation is to not need it <laughs> but if you need to it to a certain point yes <laughs> okay. i mean documentation can also be a code comment it could be a doc yeah, string right? right we have we have a saying in the documentation world where self-documented code is code that you wrote recently because in six months you're going to look at it and you're not going <laughs> you're not going to necessarily remember. Uh, I mean, you are basically a different person at that point. So exactly. So well, this is one of the things that I try to encourage people with the empathy, right? Is to think it's not to diffuse a lot of anxiety that people have around the word documentation and might it when what it might mean, mm-hmm. you know. So right. I, I give uh, there's a talk that I give called Docs or it didn't happen where I focus on open source projects and I show, I try to show that you can make small incremental changes in how you view documentation. It doesn't have to be a monolithic, you know, thousand page book and you don't have to completely change careers to do it. Just take five minutes and think about the name of the function that you want to do, or maybe put in a small comment 
you know, things like that. And this is also related to the change, right? Giving like breadcrumbs for the person who's going after you. Yes. They're just barely good enough, minimum viable content that you can do. Yeah. Like don't don't leave it as like an Indiana Jones expedition that you have to do in order to get the knowledge again through archaeological means. Exactly. Because Which can be fun. But (laughs) it could be fun unless you're in on a deadline or something's broken and you have to debug it and you're going, well, what have they done here? Oh yeah, that's not. Oh, that was me. (laughs) What have I done here? I heard this so much. (laughs) Right. Oh, get blame myself. Exactly. Or I I do. I do like the tool. Get blame someone else. Also, (laughs) rewrite the get history. (laughs) Exactly. So the empathy. Empathy is something that permeates everything and you can do uh, it's it's such a useful it's such a useful practice that so many people myself included are still struggle with you yeah. know and <laughs> and i was telling you before it's never about the tools because yeah. ultimately we are humans working with other humans mm-hmm. you know so i mean i gave in the talk i gave a, a bunch of kind of i call them life lessons you know or, or sure. change management lessons whatever you want to call it and yeah. about half of them are based on the human aspect and half right. of them are based on the more logistical knowledge, you know, do the work, factual, you know, uh, do your homework, lead by example, run a POC on things, have, yeah. show respect for the actual content. Right. But most of the benefit of empathetic change management is mm-hmm. that you're going to get a more genuine engagement from people. Yeah. If you're going to be able to present your idea in an empathetic way, you know, without assuming certain background or context, you know, and showing respect for the people that you're trying to sell your idea to, you're going to get a more genuine buy-in and people are going to do a better job. You know, they're going to right. be, they're going they're to, to be join your efforts. Right. Yes, exactly. And it's less work for you in the end. Yep. Exactly. Which uh, I like. Yeah, I like that a lot. Cool. Yeah, I hope that people are able to like check out the talks online. Yeah, so I have the point. the slides are on Speaker Deck, and I guess oh, maybe you can link it somewhere. And yeah, that'd the video, be great. The video should be posted, I guess, at some point. I mean, the conference is still going on, and they did some live stream, but I guess they have to cut up the videos or something. Right, sure. Um, yeah, they got to do a good job on that. Yes, <laughs> I will also write a blog post about this conference, and I usually, I oh, I sporadically blog on my, my traveling documentary and blog is called docsideofthemoon.com excellent uh, (laughs) fun (laughs) yes thank you so i usually do a recap blog of every conference i attend and i give a little summary of the talk that i gave cool so i'll put some links in there i can share the link in my notes Mm -hmm. awesome yeah Yeah. so do you have any wrap-up thoughts what's the big takeaway Uh, empathy software is people too yes yes (laughs) it's not it's not just about the tools i mean change starts from within be the change and hope for the best and prepare for the worst. <laughs> right. Awesome. You know, cool. so thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was great. Thank I you for participating uh, in our, our field recording here in lovely Florence, Italy. Yes, it was a lovely recording in the wild and <laughs> I hope it works out. All right, let's so, get back to it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right.
Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.